covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. We've got uh, we have an interesting program today. We're actually going to break our format a little bit and do things just a bit differently. I think the events of the past week uh, definitely give us a reason to handle things a bit differently than we normally do. So that's uh, that's what we're going to do. Also, I want to say uh, hello and a welcome into the podcast to the folks who are listening to us on 540 ESPN as uh, this is now part of the uh, Pod Center that is on uh, every weekday afternoon from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock put together by Doug Russell. I understand that uh, this podcast is a part of it on Mondays generally. So if you are listening to us on over-the-air radio, while this is meant to be a podcast, we're glad that uh, you are joining with us, and uh, we hope that you've been able to uh, enjoy this podcast as we do bring it to you on uh, Monday afternoons. If you are somebody who is listening to the podcast via maybe Apple Podcast, and for you folks on 540, if you want to find us, you can find us on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, wherever you listen uh, to your uh, podcast, WTMJ.com. The WTMJ uh, mobile app has it. If you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave us a ranking and review, that would be very much appreciated. Helps uh, the podcast get out to as many people as possible. All right, so here's what we've got going on this week. Uh, we're only going to actually have a couple segments here. We're not doing a headlines of the week because, quite honestly, what we're going to do here in this first segment, it's pretty much all the major headlines of the week. So we will touch on those. And then we're going to have our social media conversation. J.R. Radcliffe, the uh, trending sports reporter with the Journal Sentinel and JS Online, he is going to join us coming up in uh, just a few minutes. We're not doing a down on the farm uh, report this week. So this is generally the time. After we cycle through all the minor league broadcasters, this is the time where we would bring on Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball for a two-week conversation about uh, all the, the various uh, different minor league affiliates. And we do uh, we have so much to talk about in those conversations. We run it over a couple weeks. We don't record it all at once, though. I want the information to be current. Next week is the final podcast prior to the All-Star break, so it's a little bit different in the sense that we focus it all on just looking back at the first uh, first half of the season. So and I don't want to split up the uh, down on the farm uh, par- parts uh, with Brad over a three-week period. So we're going to wait a couple weeks and get Brad back on. So a couple weeks without the down on the farm report. In case you happen to care, you listen to the podcast on an every week basis and you want to know what exactly is going on. Uh, J.R. Radcliffe joins us in just a few moments. I, I've got so much. Generally in this first segment, if you listen all the time, you know that I have kind of a monologue, and I hit generally like one big item. Sometimes I get to two items. I I kind of feel like Frank Costanza in the Festivus episode of uh, Seinfeld because I have so much that I want to get to. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> now you're going to hear about it. So let's get right to it and get into all the things that happened this past week because there's there, there, I've got a lot of thoughts on a lot of things, clearly, from what you just heard. Let's start with Kesson here. So he gets called up. Travis Shaw gets sent down to AAA, and we'll talk more about Travis Shaw in just a moment. I guess, and look, I'm not trying to tell you how to be a fan. I feel like I'm saying that every week now. There's, ain't, with the Brewers, the fact that every game matters, there's probably not a team in baseball that, that applies to more than the Brewers when you look at what happened last season where it took a game 163 for them to win the division, where they were one more win in the regular season from not being forced to play that game 163 or one one more loss from not playing it because you weren't going you, you didn't even have the opportunity, you would not have won the division, you would have been a wild card game team. So I understand like every game matters. I'm not trying to scurry away, run away whatever it is uh, away from the fact that every game over the course of a 162 game season matters. But with the length of baseball, guys go into slumps, guys get out of it, guys play well in the first half, not in the second half, the, the vice versa. That's just part of the game of baseball. And are there guys who start off the season poorly and have an entire bad season? Yeah, that happens. But for individuals with a major league pedigree, especially one of Travis Shaw, who'd been a 30 home run hitter, 
you giving him the benefit of the doubt and believing that he was going to get out of it, I don't think was the wrong decision. Now, did it end up being the correct decision? Maybe that's not even the way to say it. Did Shaw ever get out of his funk? No, he didn't. And finally, that forced the Brewers to make the move. But them being patient with Shaw, it wasn't a bad thing. I... I can understand the people out there who wanted to see Keston Hira right away who had kind of given up on Travis Shaw. And I don't completely agree with you, but I I understand where you're coming from. I would hope that those people would be able to see, okay, Travis Shaw had a really good major league pedigree and he's been a he has been a run producer since the moment he put on a Brewers uniform giving him a long leash to try to get that back makes sense. You don't have to agree with it, but I think understanding that and understanding why the Brewers made that decision. I agree with a lot. I think Craig Council is a really good manager, and I agree with most things. The vast majority of things that he does inside the course of a game, I, I agree with. There are times that he does things that I don't agree with. But I at least understand what the motivation was for that decision. It's not that it was a bad decision. It was that it's a different decision from what I would have made. And they made the decision to give Travis Shaw uh, some some leash. And it didn't work out. Travis Shaw never got it going. Now, Hira, they want to get some more offensive consistency in the lineup. That was something that David Stern said this past week when discussing this. Uh, They... It's gotten to a point with this lineup, and this was supposed to. You can go back in the podcast, go find the podcast right before the season got started, or you know the the few weeks leading into the season. Something that I talked about a lot was how this lineup stacked up to be one of the best lineup, if not the best lineup in the National League. It has not performed to that level, and there's been a lot of inconsistencies with it, and the organization feels like that. Hira is going to bring some consistency to the lineup. I think they would rather have a 30-plus home run hitting Travis Shaw, but he's being inconsistent. We don't really know what Hira is going to be, but you would expect there to be a little bit more consistency in the lineup by having him there. Tyler Saladino coming up surprised me, and not not so much because of Aaron Perez being designated for assignment. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But the real reason that Tyler Saladino was brought up, or maybe the role that he is going to play being brought up, is to be in a timeshare, for the most part, at shortstop with Orlando Arcia. And that caught me a little bit off guard. You know, we had heard, and, and Craig Council does not, he doesn't criticize his players publicly very often, and when he does... It barely, barely, barely sounds like a criticism. It's more of oh, we got to do better in this area. This has got to be, you know, this has got to just perform a little bit better. Things like that. It's never this really harsh criticism. So it, it certainly was not a overly harsh criticism. But all of a sudden we start hearing on occasion from him, Orlando Arcia has got to be a better defender. Now, when we first heard those things prior to the move, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't take much of it you know I I heard it I kind of thought about it and I just moved on pretty quickly well they're not super happy with Orlando Arcia's defense and this is one of those things where we talk about the eye test in baseball and the eye test is something that's kind of going away because we can now really put numbers to everything that's happening you know you can sit there and watch a shortstop play and think, man, he's making some great plays. And then all of a sudden you get into the statistics of it and the analytics, and you see, okay, this guy actually doesn't cover that much ground. Once it, when, he, when he can get to balls, he makes nice plays on them, but he doesn't get to as many as he should. And that's been part of the issue with Arcia. The, the, the range has uh, not been what they would like it to be. There have been some errors as well. I mean, there's been some conventional things that they've not been happy with. But they brought up Tyler Saladino to go into a timeshare. And if nothing else, there, there's some accountability there with Orlando Arcia. 
And, you know, last year they sent him down to AAA, and he was able to come back out of that. They, they, There's no reason to do that again. I mean, you've done that before, the whole send him to AAA thing. And he probably – he's still – he's a perfectly fine Major League Baseball player. It's not like what he was doing last year from an offensive standpoint where he just couldn't get out of his own way and had to go get that swing right. Even though there's been some defensive struggles, he's been a better offensive player this year. So there'd be no reason to send him to AAA at this point, but a little bit of accountability. And we'll see how he responds. He played on Sunday after missing the two games before. He had a nice play. And now I'm keeping, I'm kind of watching specifically for plays where he has to range further. And there was a a pop fly down the left field line that he was sprinting as hard as he could, and and he got to it. And I thought to myself, okay, he covered a lot of ground there. So maybe that is something. But there does seem to be some accountability right now with Orlando Arcia, and they're trying to get more out of him, so they're bringing in Tyler Saladino. Now the players who are exiting, Erdon Perez. This this was also a surprise to me. And from a baseball standpoint, from a production standpoint, I don't have a big problem with Perez being designated. Now, I thought he was a valuable player because he did have the ability to play all the different positions. And I've 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 talked about it before on this podcast. I'm not going to I'm not going to hide from what I've said before because now I look to be wrong and that that's okay. Uh, I I never thought the Brewers would really move away from Aaron Perez. I thought he was the the Craig Council kind of player. The the guy that Craig Council really most appreciated the way that he was able to play the game and all the positions and just the way he went about it. Uh, he did play a very large role in the clubhouse and uh, from a Latin American player standpoint, really from a, it, you know, it didn't matter. It, uh, a baseball clubhouse can be an interesting place. And, I, and the, the Brewers clubhouse is very tight knit, one through 25. And Hernan Perez had a lot to do with that. They designate him for assignment. He's off the 40 man roster. We'll see what the move ends up being. I, I'm going to guess, and again, I could be wrong on this. I think they're going to make some sort of trade. You've got a week after designating a player for either another team to uh, pick them up, to work out a trade with another team, or to give them the option to go to AAA. And I would probably, my, my thought process of that is the most probable they work out a trade, second most probable another team claims him and he just goes for nothing, third most probable, no team claims him, no team trades for him, and the Brewers place him at AAA, and he accepts the assignment. Generally, you would accept the assignment in that situation. You're able to keep your major league salary if you do that. I I don't think him not accepting that assignment would be something that would be uh, very probable, so I don't even put that on the list of, of possible outcomes. This was a surprise, though, and... Again, it just kind of goes along with I I feel like the organization made the decision that over the course of the last month that the Brewers did not play well, it was time to shake things up a little bit. And a little bit of a shakeup can at times be a good thing for a clubhouse. Not that the, not that complacency st- sets in, but just kind of a reminder that it's a business. And they did the same thing last year. It was actually a little bit earlier last year. They, they had a Sunday where they made like six moves. It was the day where they did send Arcia down and they acquired Eric Kratz and they designated Jet Bandy and Bandy was uh, a guy who was very popular in the clubhouse as well. So we've seen them do this before where they make kind of a flurry of moves in one day to reshape things a bit and that's what they did. I've had a lot of questions about Travis Shaw and specifically what the future holds for Shaw. He's got a couple more years of club control, a couple arbitration years coming up with the Brewers. He's been a 30-plus home run hitter. I don't think they're just going to walk away from Travis Shaw. I think there's still a, a faith and a trust that somehow, some way, he can get back to being the guy he was previously. Now, is it going to happen this year? When David Stearns talked about it earlier, he said there was an expectation that he would return to Milwaukee this year and be a big part of this team. So, maybe. Uh, either way, I think... They're, they're not going to let him go for nothing, that's for sure. Maybe a scenario works out where they, they figure out a trade during the offseason and give him a chance for new scenery. But I don't think Travis Shaw has played his final game with the Brewers. And I think he's still going to be given every opportunity to 
continue to be the third baseman for this club moving forward. Uh, last thing, and you know, all four of those guys are all kind of connected. The other move that was made involved Jimmy Nelson, and we talked a lot about Jimmy Nelson on this podcast last week because last week was when we had learned that he reportedly did not take the assignment to AAA, which is something he's allowed to do, and that's not what I want to get into here. He's placed on the injured list. He's got some some fluid in his elbow. It was the same issue, the same elbow that he had some issues with during the course of spring training, and they make the decision to go ahead and put him on the injured list. Couldn't really tell, just based off the way things were said, there's a lot of frustration, and sometimes when there's emotion and there's frustration, that kind of puts up a wall that's hard to read the entire situation. It was hard for me to tell whether or not Jimmy Nelson was all in on the decision to place him on the injured list. But at the end of the day, he's holding a spot on the 25-man roster, and he has to be effective. And he's a great story. He is a great story, and I think everybody's pulling for him to get back to what he was before. But sometimes when you come back from injuries, you get stuck kind of in this no-man's land. We talk about this a lot with Tommy John surgery. And it's easier for me to talk about it with Tommy John surgery because we kind of know the path of coming back from Tommy John. Let's talk about Brent Suter for a second. We learned this week that uh, Suter should be, if everything goes well, he's been with the team. He's going to go on the road trip. Uh, he's going to be in Cincinnati. His doctors are uh, in Cincinnati. He's from that area. And if uh, all goes well on a follow-up visit, he's going to start uh, doing a little bit more throwing, get up on a mound, throw to some batters, things like that. If Brent Suter pitches for the Brewers this year, and there's there's certainly a possibility of that happening. If Suter pitches for the Brewers this year, you can kind of expect him not to be the same guy that he was when he first got injured. So with Tommy John, you get back to a point where you're healthy and you can pitch, but there's still more time after that until you return to where you were at previously. I don't know if the surgery that Nelson had is the same as Tommy John, but let's same in terms of how the body kind of reacts to it. But for for this conversation here, let's go ahead and act like it is. You get stuck in this this weird area where a guy's healthy, a guy has to pitch, but a guy's effectiveness is not what it was previously, and you're still months or maybe a year away from that effectiveness being back to, back up to where it needs to be or where it was before, and you've sat there and you've spent all this time going through the rehab process, and you want this guy to be back to what he was before, but it's just going to take more time. So then you get stuck in this weird roster situation where the guy's on the 25-man roster. In Jimmy Nelson's case, he doesn't accept the assignment to, to AAA. In some other cases, guys don't have options. You don't have the option to send them to AAA. And you're forced to navigate this these murky waters where a guy's got to be on the 25-man roster, but he's not playing at a level where he's really helping you win, but he's also not technically injured. And not that Nelson's not technically injured. I, I completely buy uh, the elbow thing. It's actually, to me, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise that Nelson is dealing with this because it gives a little bit more time. But that's the thing moving forward that I may be most curious with Nelson. Can he pitch, can he be effective enough to be worthy of that 25-man roster spot for a team that going into July 1st is in a tie for first place in the NL Central. We don't really know if he's ever going to get back to being the guy he was prior to the surgery. But let's, for this argument, let's say, yes, he is going to get back to that point at some point in time. It's just going to take time to get there. How do you go through that period before a guy gets healthy but you, you don't really have anywhere to place him except onto the Major League 25-man roster. It's not an easy thing to deal with. And the Brewers might be in the exact same scenario coming up later on this year with Brent Suter. Coming back from Tommy John. Gets healthy. He's ready to be in the big leagues. But is he going to be pitching effective enough 
to be in the big leagues, or is he going to get back to being the guy he was at some point next season? It's 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 interesting, right? It's it's something that it's one of the parts of kind of managing a baseball roster. It's anything but easy to do all of those things. All right, so that's my opening segment this week. Again, we're doing a little bit. I had a lot of things I wanted to talk about here on the podcast uh, this week. By the way, we're not doing the headlines of the week, but there are just a couple other notes that I want to get real quick before we uh, get into our social media conversation with J.R. Radcliffe. Uh, Devin Williams, who is a... uh, pitcher in the Brewers minor league organization he is uh he is going to go to the uh, futures game this year he is the only Brewers prospect to go there uh, he has been pitching at Biloxi this year has done a nice job he has had you, know, you talk about guys who have uh, been on a tough road uh, he had Tommy John surgery so he's certainly been somebody that has had some challenges but really cool for him to get to go to uh, the futures game and then on Sunday the uh, all-star reserves and pitchers were announced. The Brewers got three more players to join Christian Yelich, who had already been named as a starter. Uh, They get Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal in addition to uh, Josh Hader. So that takes the total to four. And uh, a lot of people believe that Brandon Woodruff is going to be added. Generally, pitchers do get added because of uh, pitchers who uh, are pitching on Sunday or for whatever other reason can't be on the active all-star roster. So pretty good chance that uh, Woodruff does get added. And uh, to his teammates credit they really stumped for him on Sunday during a press conference trying to uh, get people to take notice that uh, he is somebody who uh, deserves the final roster spot for the National League All-Star roster. All right so that's it for our opening uh, segment let's get right into this week's social media conversation. After every Brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X-Trains podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. Very happy to welcome on to the podcast. He is the trending sports reporter for the Journal Sentinel. Sometimes he even fills in as the beat guy for the Brewers. Uh, <laughs> recently with uh, Tom Hodricourt getting uh, his uh, big uh, Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year award in uh, North Carolina. I don't know where Todd Rosiak was, but I saw that JR was doing the beat job. It's JR Radcliffe. Hey, JR. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I've got, uh, what was that? I think my second beat uh, beat writing engagement this year so yes i'm 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 the rare utility man who can uh who can jump in once in a great while but uh but it's like ernan perez pitching you're not going to see me there all that often i would imagine the uh a moment of silence for ernan perez reference (laughs) r.i.p ernan perez (laughs) we'll we'll talk more about that in in just a moment and let's uh, kind of um uh, before we get to baseball and i wasn't planning on talking about this with you but since we've got it the Baseball beat writing is unlike any other journalistic endeavor. I guess maybe from a political standpoint, you could look at individuals who cover the White House and are there every day and are maybe traveling with the president wherever he goes. But it's you're so embedded and it's an everyday sort of thing. It's a, it's a different world when you're a baseball beat writer, than especially there's nothing in sports that compares to it. I, I completely agree with you, and I am in no way that guy. Like, I do not uh, have the luxury or opportunity to do any of that stuff. That's uh, It's a lot of work for what Tom Hodricourt and Todd Rosiak do, just just two guys alternating. They handle every game, every road trip, and, and those road trips are key. That's when you really start sort of get to know the players, get to maybe access a little bit more that you could use down the road for stories and, and tell uh, – you know the human interest stuff feature stories but also get a good feel for what's going on with the team but that's that's amazing like it's amazing that i mean you're at the park it's not uh it's not just for the three hours of the game you know you're there literally three and a half hours before every game uh that's when the clubhouse opens so you're probably even there before that and uh, that's when you can do your pregame stuff you're there for batting practice you stay at least an hour to two hours after the game to get every your comments everything written so that is that is an intense job and it's easy to get jaded with 
with it. And I, I get even I, I see that sometimes with uh, with national writers. And I, I just kind of roll my eyes because I know how cool it is to cover baseball games just once in a great while. But, man, if I had to do it every day, that would be that would be tough. It's a great job to parachute in for and do like once in a great while. Uh, but the full time gig is not for the faint of heart. That is a that is a hard job. And we saw that on full display this past week in New York when Tim Healy of Newsday has an, an <laughs> innocuous comment to Mickey Callaway and then Jason Vargas makes a run at him and it's such a weird thing because the clubhouse belongs to the players yet we as the media are allowed in there and it's also our place of work although we are respecting it as you know we're kind of visitors but it's still the place that that we in the media are working and you as a baseball journalist you have to have a good enough relationship with everybody that you can get what you need but at the same time you're not trying to be just an arm of the public relations department it's such a such a weird thing in baseball Super awkward. And and those moments pregame when you go into the clubhouse or after the game and you're just standing there waiting for, for a player to talk to or a manager. I mean it's it feels weird. It feels like you're in their home or their, you know, at least their their room or something and it's that you're just sort of you know, you're trying not to stare in any one direction because you just don't want them to think like you're you're being creepy and just like just hanging out waiting for whatever. It's it's very uh it, it, it's tough because it's not just the beat writers. It's a lot of TV stations. It's a lot of people who aren't the full-time beat writers who are coming and trying to ask questions. So the players hear the same questions over and over because they get a lot of people who aren't necessarily the guys who've been patched in from day one. And, and it's, it's gotta be dragging and draining on them to have to do that every game. And, and it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird nuance to it, and uh, and like I said, I've been on I, primarily when I've covered games. It's been on the other side. It's been the visiting team where it's just a series here or there, and then I am the one who is doesn't really know as much about the team as I'd like to know, and and I find that to be even a greater challenge where you're trying to get information out of guys, and you're just like, hey, let's pretend let's pretend we have any sort of relationship at all, and I'll ask you about you know your your repertoire or your you know what what it is about this park it's it's very it's a very difficult thing there was a time last year and i only go into the clubhouse generally after weekday day games i've got the post game show so i don't get the chance to go into the clubhouse but we don't do the post game show after weekday day games so i'm generally in the clubhouse in those situations and there was a time last year where i'm not going to say the player's name but <laughs> the player was cleaning up his locker like taking all of his belongings and putting it into a box and my first reaction is this guy's being released what ended up happening was he was somebody who got sent down to AAA. so clearly the organization went to him ahead of the trip and said hey there's a chance that before we get back from this upcoming road trip you're not gonna be here but like what do i do in that situation i'm seeing a guy clean out and i'm not uh, i'm not a, a journalist in the sense that the way people at the Journal Sentinel is, I'm the I'm the the flagship station post game show host, but I'm in the room at the time and I'm seeing this and I, I didn't do anything with it. And another reporter and I just kind of looked at each other like, I don't even want to be seeing this. I wish I was not in here to see this because I know something that I don't want to know. Yeah, you feel really intrusive trying to to extrapolate what's happening. And you know, I've actually been in a clubhouse. It wasn't the Brewers clubhouse. It was visiting, but it was at Miller Park where where a couple people got into. Not a fight, but it was definitely a disagreement between the report, some of the reporters and some of the players, and it, it was super, super awkward for a guy who doesn't cover the didn't cover this team full time, and it, it was a it was a. I think it was kind of a misunderstanding, but it was sort of being it was sort of being extrapolated to all the journalists in the room, like all you guys and what you've done, and uh, it. it again like what do you do in that situation like you do you say hey i'm just the fill-in guy like do you defend yourself <laughs> that way do you try to like take an do you try to take an active approach and try to play mediator like what what do you do there so again it's a very awkward obtrusive situation where you know like you said it is where we're working but it's also we're also kind of stepping onto their turf to try and try and have this have these conversations that we pretend are are nice and easy going but are, in reality we're looking for like two or three quotes to put into a story on a certain time topic and i think everybody's aware of what the dance looks like it's just it's it's weird it's a weird it's a weird it's a weird profession it is all right let's get into baseball a little bit and what a week it was i can't believe we just talked six minutes about that with everything that's going on with the team <laughs> but we did and there's no one going back at this point uh what do you make of the moves of the week travis shot at triple a ernan perez designated for assignment keston hira and tyler saladino coming up i it's super interesting obviously i i think um 
you know, honestly, I thought I thought this might happen similar to this. I didn't quite I didn't quite see it this way. I thought if the team was going to commit to Travis Shaw and, and Jesus Aguilar, and of course Shaw did end up getting option back to AAA, but I thought if they were going to, to commit to those guys, the only other path to get Keston Hira back on the on the roster, and I did believe he would be back on the roster. I think I'd said by the All-Star break, I had started to lose faith in that timeline a little bit, but uh, but nonetheless, he is here before the All-Star break, was Hernan Perez, and, and it's because not necessarily because Perez is underperforming, but he is underperforming offensively. He is, he's not really somebody you can rely on. And, and that was definitely true during that period of time when Keston Hero went down. So it maybe stands out a little bit more. The thing that everyone loves about Hernan Perez, outside the fact that he's an awesome dude, and he is an awesome dude, it's a, it's definitely a loss to the clubhouse culture beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's, that stinks. Um, People really like his versatility. The, the thing is, he, he just he's just not great at any of those positions. He's fine. He's passable. He can play the outfield. He can play the infield. But he's not going to play the outfield on this team very often, except in weird emergency situations. He's not going to... He's not a guy that is a super plus defender at shortstop or second base. So you kind of start to wonder, well, if, he, if he's not if he's not great at those positions, the versatility doesn't buy you much. And and you saw when the team, because the right-handed hitters have struggled so much this year, when they needed him in the lineup, and that was true in the San Diego series against three lefties, true in the Mariners series where he had a couple lefties, he wasn't, he wasn't coming through. He wasn't making hard contact. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't giving this team a chance to win. They needed a right-handed batter in the lineup. Now, if you get rid of Perez, you got to get a backup shortstop on the team, and that's where Saladino comes in, and Saladino can also play third base. So you have a backup third baseman on the roster with the decision to option Shaw. So that's that That all made some sense to me. It seems like a good idea looking retrospectively. I, I did think they would lean there. I thought maybe Mauricio Dubon would be the guy to come up to be the backup shortstop with Keston Hira. But uh, but this still uh, it does make sense. It, it stinks to lose a guy like Hernan Perez. I still think this is going to be this is the right thing if the team you know they they got to get out of this funk offensively, and this is just the right thing they have to do. One of the really interesting things about the move to me is the Brewers clubhouse culture is as good as exists, and you know a lot of teams. I, I heard from so many guys last year in the postseason how it really made an impact on people about how much fun the Brewers were having playing baseball. And that's a big part of what they do. And sometimes when you can't spend as much as other teams and, and things like that, that matters. But when you're not playing up to your abilities and not meeting expectations, sometimes it's good to make people a little bit uncomfortable inside of the clubhouse. And Travis Shaw being sent down, Aaron Perez being designated for assignment, while that stinks for that clubhouse, it creates a moment of discomfort. And while that can't be something, you can't play that card over and over and over over the course of the year, you can play that card every once in a while, and I feel like that's what the Brewers did. Yeah, I don't think the Brewers were necessarily trying to prove a point that nobody is safe or nobody's untouchable. I, I don't think that was it. I think it was more a situation where this was just – the best solution to, to preserve all of, you know, to, because they, they still are not ready to give up on what Jesus Aguilar could be. They didn't want to lose him. They couldn't, they, they couldn't afford to lose a guy that has the potential to hit 30 home runs. Travis Shaw, they can option, but there weren't really other options of guys that you could send down to the minors and have, you know, and be able to hold on to those guys. So I, I think it was just a confluence of a bunch of things and, and losing a clubhouse guy and you know, we're talking about being a beat reporter. You really respect how clubhouse dynamics work a little bit, and you understand that a loss, losing a guy like that off the roster, is is a really big deal. It's not actually all about the stats and numbers. There is a component to it of of just, I mean, these guys spend so much time around each other. The camaraderie is an important part of 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 their lifestyle for six months, especially. So, you do respect that. That's a tough loss. On the other hand, like if I'm looking in this clubhouse and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but th- this is already not the fun-loving clubhouse it was last year. I don't think that has anything to do with results on the field. But, you know, with, with Brent Suter being injured and not around, you don't see him as much. Lorenzo Cain and Jesus Aguilar have struggled this year, so we haven't seen maybe them be as boisterous as they had been. You know, Eric Kratz was a really fun guy, and he's not here this year. So, uh Really, the leaders of the team are kind of more buttoned up. They're kind of, you know, Mike Moustakis and and uh, Yasmani Grandal, obviously Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun. These guys aren't necessarily boisterous, loud, outgoing guys. And, and that's not to say, again, that it's right or wrong to do it. I think you'd rather have a fun-loving group of guys. But there's so much turnover and so much change that I don't know how important that is over the long term. Uh, because you got new faces. I mean, Hernan Perez, Hernan Perez was like the third longest tenured brewer 
on the roster behind Ryan Braun and Jimmy Nelson. That alone should tell you that there's so much cycling going on in that in that clubhouse. You're not going to get the same guys for longer than a couple years in a row. So I don't know if that's really something that I say is 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 really going to hurt them over the long term. It just stinks because he's a good dude and he's he's fun to be around. And it's a shame that this just wasn't a great year for him. And they really needed they really needed some right-handed pop in that lineup. What caught me off guard was the comments from Craig Council about Orlando Arcia's defense. Totally. And yeah, Council doesn't generally criticize players very publicly. Not that that was a harsh criticism, but there was some criticism. When you watch Arcia just with your eyes, we talk about the eye test, it doesn't look like he's dropped off defensively. When you you know dig into the metrics a little bit, his, his range is down. He's committed a few more errors, but it's not. there was nothing glaring about Arcia's defense, but the team wasn't happy with it, and now Tyler Saladino is in a, in a timeshare. What, what do you take away from that? Yeah, that was super fascinating, and it's it's funny because defense is something you see every day, but you really every game only see a player make, what, four, maybe five plays a game, so it's actually kind of hiding in plain sight when a guy is struggling. You may not, even the beat writers may not know how much a guy, if you look at it metrically, has struggled defensively, and so to have Craig Council volunteer that information, this was even before the roster moves were made, that he, he suggested, hey, they're, they're kind of just talking about what needs to go right in the second half of the season. He said, Orlando Arcia needs to play better defense. And everyone, you know, you're kind of like, what? Who said he was playing poor defense? But there are some metrics that are really down on him, really down, taking him from a guy who, you know, saved upwards of 17, 18 runs last year to a guy who's costing his team's runs this year, his team runs this year. So that's pretty stark and surprising. And I, I don't think they know what the root cause of that is, what the bottom, you know, they're trying to get to the bottom of that. But that's that's a huge component of this roster move because not only do you get a guy like Saladino who can play shortstop, he can play it well defensively. We saw that in their loss on Friday night. He had some some pretty big plays to keep that game close. So to have him in there is, is big. Yeah, I'm blown away that the, that they went right ahead and said, we're going to just split time between the two of them, have Saladino and Arcia sharing the workload at shortstop was was really surprising. It is rare for Craig Council to do that, to talk about a player's struggles openly, especially when he's just volunteering that information. You have to surmise he's trying to send a message or feeling like that's that's a way to communicate it that that might uh, you know that might help the cause in some way because he's just that's just not typical for Craig Council. So I did find that very fascinating, and and I mean obviously this this roster move anyway you slice it, is is the most interesting roster move they've made so far. Jimmy Nelson ends up back on the injured list. He's got some fluid in his elbow, and it's just been – its I don't want to say start and stop nature because there hasn't even been much of a start except for here recently. But, you know, fans wanted to see him at the All-Star break last year, and then they thought they may get him in September. And there's been like this, this belief and this hope that this guy's going to be the savior, and there was never a guarantee that he would return to be the guy he was pre-injury. And uh, he was ineffective, and then reportedly he doesn't want to head to uh, AAA, and now he's got some fluid in his elbow. And I, I just – I don't know what to make of Jimmy Nelson right now. I, it's pretty clear he just wasn't wasn't right, and maybe that's health related. It's probably health related, but this this isn't this isn't going to work. I mean, the three starts were were really bad. The relief outing was dicey, and it's pretty clear that right now he can't help the Milwaukee Brewers, and that stinks. And my biggest fear, my worry from all of this, I've said this a bunch of times. I, I'm very nervous that he's going to end up becoming the bad guy, and he's worked so hard to get back to this point. 21 months having, you know, it was absolutely so confident at the peak of his career and he had it taken out from underneath him and he works his butt off to get back. And now you've got fans saying, well, he should have taken that assignment to AAA and it stinks that he maybe blocked a move to AAA and, oh, maybe he was hiding an injury. You know, I, I, I don't want to hear any of that stuff. That That's brutal. And unfortunately, that's where they're at because, because they're not winning and because Jimmy Nelson, unfortunately, isn't yet in position to help this team. Uh, you know, can't just seem to find it, find his command, find his velocity. All of it is missing right now. I, I just I'm very nervous about him becoming the villain here. I, I don't want to see that. I don't want fans to think that way. So I'm I'm optimistic that a break here will at least give them a chance to reassess whatever pain he's feeling. And and I I would be surprised if this is a short stay. I have a feeling he's going to be on the disabled list for a while. And uh, and I'm optimistic that will also give fans a chance to like cool down a little bit and and you know maybe start to start to not worry about Jimmy Nelson as much and, and there'll still be plenty of time to appreciate the comeback effort he made and, and, and hopefully obviously he uh, he works through this and ends up becoming a very effective member whether it's the rotation of the bullpen 
But uh, but yeah, right now it's uh, unfortunately right now we're we're looking at an unhappy ending to the Jimmy Nelson story. There just doesn't seem like it just doesn't seem like he's got he's got whatever he had in 2017. The thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch him navigate, and if he does stay on the injured list for a very long time, then this is not really a thing. But if if not. If he doesn't accept an option to AAA and it gets to a point where he can't be on the 25-man roster, that could get a little bit uncomfortable. And I hope people don't hear me say that and say, you know, I have no problem with the rules in baseball. You have a certain amount of service time. You, you're allowed to reject the, the option to AAA. I kind of compare that to a regular person being working at a place so long that they get a certain amount of vacation, then all of a sudden they say, oh, you can't actually take that now. Like the average person out there is not going to be happy with that. So I've got no problem with him saying, no, I'm not going to AAA. But the the dominoes that could push down by that could be very interesting if all of a sudden that 25-man roster spot is really needed for this team. Yeah, and I think that's why the injured list is here. I I mean, I I don't mean to sound cynical, but I, I don't. I don't know if I buy it. I, I buy that he's probably ailing. I think whatever he had, he probably has had for, like you said, he's had it for a while. He probably could have gone on the injured list sooner or probably could have waited a while. I, I think this is a, a compromise. You know, when you're on the injured list, you continue to accrue service time. This isn't going to impact his salary. It's not going to, to hold him back really in terms of, you know, he's not going to have to go back to, to San Antonio and work on his game there. So he can stay with the big league team. He can rehab with the Brewers as they see fit. So, um, so I completely understand it. I I don't I don't know what happens if he says I'm not going on the injured list or, or how that dynamic works out. I have no idea what those conversations were like. And, you know, maybe it's all completely face value and he did have a brand new thing pop up that just became unbearable and he had to put him on the injured list. I don't know any of that stuff. But um but I think I, I mean what you're saying is true. Like they they can't they can't be they can't have reclamation projects on a roster of, uh, for a team that thinks they're going to the playoffs, you know they're they're tied for first place. We're going into July first, even though they've struggled, they are a hundred percent a playoff caliber team right now, and they can't afford to have guys on the roster like Rule Five picks or guys who are just you know still feeling their way back or working their way through stuff. It's it's hard enough with the guys being a hundred percent healthy and a hundred percent on their game. So um, so I, I I don't know what the alternative was to the solution that they discovered. Um, I completely respect his decision not to go back to the AAA. I think he's earned it, honestly. I, no matter how bad he's done, I think how bad it's been at the major league level, I think he's earned it, and I don't begrudge it at all. Uh, obviously, I understand though why fans might uh, might feel a little differently, but uh, but this this is this is a solution. So this is some, right now. I think everybody should be somewhat happy with what's going on here. Starting pitching started off the season slow. They went and got Gio Gonzalez that stabilized stuff. Gio goes on the injured list. It goes back down. There was a 30-plus game period where starters ERA was at 6.5. And And as we're talking on Sunday, tiny sample size, but the last four starts from Zach Davies, Brandon Woodruff, Chase Anderson, and Yolis Chassin have been pretty good. Do you feel like the most recent run, the four starts that uh, that predate our conversation, that that level of play is sustainable for this current rotation? I mean, I do think Yoli Shasina is just going to get better. I, I still, I have a pretty good faith in him. I mean, he's not going to be what he was last year, but I, I have faith that he's going to be really that they'll have a chance to win every time he takes the ball. Zach Davies, I'm very happy to see the results on Sunday. If you look at his peripheral numbers, they're really not very different from last year, except his ERA is a lot better. So the, I don't know if you want to call it regression, but the the backsliding we've seen in the results really shouldn't surprise a lot of people. I think it's possible that that's this is pretty similar. This is pretty much who he is, and, and he's going to go on runs where he seems to be uh, seems to be in, in better control. I mean, control is actually what he's great at. I mean, he's he's very good at hitting spots, and there are going to be times guys just hit him. So uh, that's it, it's going to be a little up and down with him. I think Brandon Woodruff is is an ace. He's a star. He's he's one of the fifteen best starting pitchers in in baseball right now. He's he's just been incredible for Milwaukee. I think that if you if you go back to the beginning of the season and think about the rotation, the three you know quote unquote young guys in there. Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, and uh, and Woodruff. If you think one of those guys turns into an ace caliber pitcher, you have to consider that a success. Now, I don't think you'd think Burns would go as far backward as he did, or or Freddie Peralta. You know, just completely struggling to find that second pitch. But Peralta's still 22 and plenty exciting. Chase Anderson is holding together until either Peralta steps up or Burns steps up, or maybe Adrian Hauser works out. So it's 
it's it's obviously not going as well as as fans would like it to go. I do think these last four starts could be an indication of of what's to come in the next few weeks. Uh, I also think that once you get later in the season, they'll be able to supplement their roster with any moves at the trade deadline, and they'll start to get even more aggressive with their bullpenning, which is what they did last year. So uh, it won't be as incumbent on the starters to work deep into games. Brandon Woodruff is a great example of why it takes time with pitchers. You know, there's so we're talking about Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, and there's guys who're just. Oh, Release those guys. What are they doing in the organization? They stink. There's no reason. And and I, I would point to Brandon Woodruff, who makes his major league debut a couple years ago, and and slowly, even at the beginning of this year, it, it was a bit of a slow start for him. It not many pitchers just walk into the major leagues and dominate. No, it's true. And and I think if I, I go back to the beginning of the season, Woodruff would be the guy I would be most I don't want to say concerned, but I'd be I would expect him the least to become an ace of those three guys yeah. because we'd seen such dominance from Peralta at times. And Burns was so good last year, and I expected that would work out in, in the starters' capacity. And sometimes, in some innings, it does. It's he's sort of a, a still a pretty big enigma to me. But like you said, Woodruff had a slow start, and then you take a look at what he's done since then. I mean, to have a three seven nine ERA when he had an April ERA way above five kind of gives you a sense of just how good he's been. He's he's really as good as it gets. I mean, he's he's the first guy to ten wins. Your mileage may vary on whether wins matter or not, but. They've won. They've won 14 of his 17 starts. That's that's pretty amazing. The Brewers have been fantastic in games that he's pitched, and in the three that he's lost, they've lost by three runs, two runs, and one run. So, who you know, he's obviously keeping his team, uh, keeping his team in the game since the start of May. I think he's uh, pretty sure he's 10 and one since the start of May, and has a three like a three one ERA. I really think there's a good chance he winds up in the All Star game. The, the uh, uh, reserves were named on Sunday. Brewers had four guys in the All-Star game. But pitchers, there's so many pitchers who get named late because of guys who are pitching close to the actual All-Star game and are kind of disqualified because they pitch on Sunday uh, before All-Star weekend or pitchers backing out or whatever. I think there's a really good chance Jeremy Jeffress happened to him last year. I think there's a good chance Woodruff winds up in the All-Star game too. I'll finish off with this, and it is about the All-Stars. Right now, sitting with four, it's yeah, there's been such a negative vibe around this team from a fan standpoint because they didn't play well for the last month of the year. And I'm not trying to run away from the fact that they didn't play well. They didn't. But I do think it's worth noting this is a first-place team that has four All-Stars. And all these guys are, are certainly worthy of getting in. I think there's a good chance Brandon Woodruff might get in. So then you get five All-Stars. This is a pretty good time to be watching the Milwaukee Brewers. I'll agree with you. I, I do agree with you. I would defend the fans in this regard. I, I go back to the 2002 season when the Brewers were as bad a team as, as they've ever been. It was the franchise record for losses. They only won 56 games. Uh, they had two all-stars that year, Richie Sex and Jose Hernandez, and both of those guys were slam dunk choices. They were dominating their position in the National League. Richie Sexton was one of the best first basemen, and Hernandez was one of the best shortstops. It, it was it was. Not surprising at all that they both made the all-star team, and yet the team was terrible. I feel – I don't feel this team is terrible by any means, but like this year's team, those four guys are easily among the best at their position in the National League. You know, Grandal is a top-two catcher, certainly top three. Uh, Christian Yelich, you know, you don't even need to say it. Josh Hader, you don't need to say it. Mike Moustakis is a top-two second baseman in the National League. And yet the rest of the team has really struggled. Like Eric Thames, to me, is definitely the fifth best offensive player on this team, maybe maybe even fourth best. Uh, we have we've seen, you know, guys that have slid back a little bit. Lorenzo Kane has struggled. Ryan Braun, obviously, Sean Aguilar, much documented. Uh, the the starting pitching hasn't been quite what it's been. So I, I can understand that people can be frustrated no matter how many all stars they have. And I can understand. Even when they're tied for first place, you look at the record and the number of, of, of lackluster performances over the last three weeks, particularly against last place teams in the month of June, I can see why people are down on that. I still think it, it is going to take a run for somebody in the NL Central, probably the Cubs or the Brewers, to, to run away with it. I don't think we've seen anything to suggest the Brewers are incapable of a run, much like they went on last year. The Cubs are certainly well-equipped to do it as well, but they've had their own struggles. So I, I think... Uh, I think all they have to do is hover around and then hit it at some point. Maybe they win 8 of 10 or 9 of 11. That could happen in July or August or even September. I think whoever does that is going to be the team that wins the NL Central. And once you get in the playoffs, it's anybody's game. So the fact that they're hovering in this position should be very encouraging considering they haven't yet hit their stride in any way, shape, or form. And there's a really good chance they still can. 
take folks through, obviously everybody listening to this knows about uh, the, the game stories and the features that are written, but <laughs> a lot of what you do as the trending sports reporter is available at, uh, at jsonline.com, and uh, it's, it's really cool stuff. So give a plug for everything uh, going on uh, that you're involved with. Yeah, so the the idea behind the the job is to sort of catch uh, what's going on between the beats. So not necessarily the game stories or the feature stories on players or the the breaking news, but just some fun things that uh, kind of go either go behind the scenes or go back in time or make a you know maybe it's a list of things, list of moments. Uh, I looked last week at Christian Yelich's Hall of Fame candidacy and what uh, sort of where he stands and what he would still have to do. HBO did an interview with Don Nelson, former Bucks coach about his newfound, you know, newfound career, I guess, as a weed farmer <laughs> in Maui. I mean, it's, it's a pretty funny story. Uh, so I did a little profile of that. Look back at, you know, I looked at all the MVPs in Milton, Wisconsin sports over history in light of Giannis winning the MVP last week. So it's just fun, like in, in between stuff that I'm able to do. And that's, uh, it's something a lot of people respond to. I have a blast doing it. I've uh, been, uh, in this position for about a year and a half and i'm very fortunate to be working uh do, doing this job working at the milwaukee journal sentinel we uh, I, I love what uh, what we kind of the direction we're headed and and you can definitely check all that out at jsonline.com and this is your second podcast of the day you've got uh, a brewers podcast that you're involved with yeah get, yeah the milwaukee brewers journal sentinel podcast it drops on mondays we also i do that with tom hodricourt and todd rosiak um interestingly enough i was a guest on another podcast so this is number three for the day but uh <laughs> the uh the milwaukee bucks podcast comes out every so often certainly once a week during the season with matt velasquez who is incredible at covering the milwaukee bucks so i talk to him every week and and uh, we're due for another one now after today today or sunday i should say just a crazy day in free agency on sunday so uh, there's definitely more to talk about uh with the bucks and uh and yeah that's uh sort of a supplement to the to the written word do a couple podcasts each week and uh, try to have as much fun as possible talking wisconsin sports he is jr radcliffe he's awesome follow him on twitter at jr radcliffe radcliffe is r-a-d-c-l-i-f-f-e jr it's been a long day for you you're you're the podcast master today thank you so much for finding <laughs> some time for this one you're awesome, Matt Polly, and I am happy to join you anytime. Thanks, man. We'll chat again soon. J.R. Radcliffe joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. One week to go before the All-Star break for the Brewers. July starts on Monday, and the Brewers begin a four-game series against Cincinnati in Cincinnati. As always, you can hear all the games on uh, WTMJ and, of course, uh, across the Brewers Radio Network. 6-10, first pitch on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then 4th of July. The game is going to get started at 1-10 in the afternoon. By the way, it should be noted, even though that's a weekday day game, it is a holiday, so we will be doing Brewers Extra Innings on WTMJ, our postgame show. Generally, we don't do that uh, on the days of our weekday day games, but we will do that on Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they head to Pittsburgh for a three-game series against the Pirates. And that's it for the unofficial first half of the season, the pre-All-Star break portion of the season. The All-Star game will be coming up next Tuesday, Tuesday the 9th at Progressive Field in Cleveland. Next week on the podcast, we are going to have our first half review, unofficial first half review. Look forward to uh, doing that. I want to say thank you to J.R. Radcliffe once again for joining us on the podcast. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.